You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Famous baseball philosopher Yogi Berra once said, 90% of the game is half mental. Well, it's pretty obvious that Yogi didn't mean the game is somewhere between 45% and 55% mental. It is clear that he was talking about the importance of the psychological aspect of competition. If you're not prepared mentally, you have little chance of succeeding physically. Jeff Miner has spent his entire adult life helping people develop the mental side of their game, from instilling confidence to helping them redirect negative thoughts to the importance of it even getting proper rest, both mental and physical, so they can be ready to perform at their best when the time comes. Jeff played competitive sports to the collegiate level and has coached athletes of all ages. He's a founder of Triumph Performance Institute, As a licensed professional counselor, he has worked for the United States Olympic Committee and is the director of research for the National Institute of Child-Centered Coaching. He joins us today to talk about his latest initiative. Jeff, welcome to Sports Connections. Hello, David. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Good to connect with you again. Let's start start with Yogi's quote. How much of the game is mental? (laughs) Well, that's a great question depending on lots of different situations and answers you get up to the pros it's like 90 percent mental because everybody's good and so that the advantages are huge for professional athletes for younger athletes a lot of it if it's just about going out and having fun it's just about playing the game and not worrying and stressing but somewhere in between there, David, it gets really stressful and starts, you starts losing the fun. Yeah. And, and, and if, if they're not prepared at an early age to address the mental side of it, that'll knock them down. So their physical ability does not develop. That's exactly. And most, most athletes quit at that point. That's why catching younger athletes and helping them understand it's not your identity. It's not everything who you are. It's a sport and you're, plan to have fun and here are the skills that are going to help you to do that it's like so many people go out and say oh you need to be more confident or you need to relax more or you need but what did they tell you to do with that what are you supposed to do with how do you become more confident and that's kind of what we do at triumph is we help them understand we break it down it's like confidence means this and this is how you can build it you know And if I remember correctly, when we first met several years ago, you told me that one of the motivations uh, for you doing what you're doing is the fact that so many kids get burned out early because they're not prepared mentally. It's the game's no longer fun because of the pressure to succeed. And that's one of the things that motivated you. Is that correct? I'm going to start, David, back before that with with my journey a little bit and then how it feeds into that. Okay. Okay. So I was a wrestler at a very young age and from Iowa and happened to be really good. And I don't know why, just I happened to be better than my friends in second, third grade. And, and so I did really well, made like the traveling team, junior Olympics teams. And I never lost, but I put so much pressure on me and I had so much anxiety and I would throw up before I would go out and wrestle and I would get so scared for these big tournaments that it totally took away all my fun, Dave. I mean, it was like, I was so much worried about being perfect and not letting anybody get close to me. And 
So it was all about winning and it was all about showing everybody else and proving to everybody how good I was. And all that anxiety was overwhelming and I couldn't take it. So what I did was I, I ended up wrestling all through college and I had that anxiety. You know, I never learned skills. Nobody ever taught me, hey, Jeff, if you do little biofeedback, you do these things, you can really control that a lot easier. Nobody told me that. So when I graduated, I decided that I wanted to become the guy that I wish I would have had to talk to. And so I started in sports psychology, and that really wasn't the area that I wanted to work in because as a sports psychologist, it's more positive. You don't deal with like the the mental challenges like um, anxiety and depression or eating disorders or all those types of things. So I became a licensed professional counselor and my first gig was at the Olympic committee. <laughs> and so it was all about, it's a good debut. <laughs> right. Right. And, and it was challenging because I was working with a lot of the gymnasts that were struggling with, all that stuff that was going on in USA gymnastics and, and with that. So it's like, it was a tough learning experience, but I, I did have this little gold pass there that allowed me to go into all the sports psychology sessions with the world's best sports psychologists. I could go in and watch my athletes and say, wow, that was really cool. I can do that in my session. So I, I learned a lot of skills from them that I could bring into my practice that I do today. And it's like, those skills of sports psychology mixed with, I can kind of go into the personal trauma, that kind of stuff that they can't make me kind of unique out there. Yeah. It's interesting, Jeff, that the fact that you were so good in, you know, middle school, high school, even in college, the fact that you didn't lose, nobody wanted to mess with that success. So they didn't take the time to figure out how you could have been even better. Because if you're winning, everything's solved. And, and yet you didn't have the joy of winning because you were so afear, afraid of losing. 100%. It's like, leave him alone. All these little rituals he's doing, everything that he's, he's got to do to take care of himself. I did the best that I could. It's just I never was able to really have fun. It's like, I should have been on top of the world, man. I was winning. I was pinning tournaments. I was, it's like. I should have really enjoyed that, but I really didn't. And it's like, so once I realized, you know, going on and learning all these skills, professional athletes, worked with the Utah Jazz for a while, worked with, it's like I started realizing that people perform at their peak when they're having fun. Yeah. You know, and so that's my big challenge with my athletes and, and all that is let's figure out how to make this fun for you. And I guarantee you're going to take your game back up to here. It's like when you were that little kid having fun, you didn't have all that pressure on you. You were playing because you love the sport. If I can get professional athletes, high school athletes back to that, David, then they perform. That's when they perform their best. You know, it's, it's interesting. Obviously we both make our living because of sports, you know, as a, as a writer, if there's no games to cover, I don't make any money. You know, it, it, uh, the pandemic hit me hard because I could not convince anybody that professional sports were essential services. But, you know, but seriously, we, we make our living through sports. And yet. So it, it's kind of oxymoronic that we're trying to uh, criticize the, the pursuit of excellence in sports. 
But if we think about a guy right here in our hometown in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, one of the reasons we like watching Patrick Mahomes play is because he's look. He looks like he's having fun. He's obviously tremendously talented, exactly. But he looks like he's having fun. There are probably <laughs> a lot of quarterbacks who could throw a no look pass, right? Or who could throw an underhand pass or throw a left handed pass for sure. But they don't take they they don't take that risk. Sports were created not to help a p- lot of people make lots and lots of money. Sports right. were created as a as a way to get physical exercise and a way to enjoy themselves. How do you think it came about that that the pressure built up so much that uh, athletes can't enjoy playing sports? You know, that starts at a very young age. Usually the athletes that were those elite level athletes as young kids, they played and they were better than everybody else in some way and they stood out. And just as soon as it becomes more important to win than to play, and that usually happens like middle school to high school, it's definitely winning the coach's reputation, the school's reputation, everybody's counting on your team winning. So that's when a lot of athletes absorb that pressure and it's like my responsibility and I got to play perfect and everybody's counting on me and I don't want to let down the team and the coach and the, my parents and the, my friends and everybody knows that I'm the star athlete and, and I got to perform. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So which is, which is harder. And I know I sent you questions ahead of time and this wasn't on there, but I'm just thinking of this okay. as we go, which is harder to, to help somebody who's being successful, enjoy it or to help somebody who is not being successful remember to enjoy the process to become more successful. Do you understand the the difference that I'm asking? They're both challenging. (laughs) 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 But once you've had that joy, and most of us have, it's like you played in younger, sixth, seventh, eighth high school, and you had that joy of playing But you know at some point where that came where, oh, the pressure. You know, I know I got out of football because it's like I was really good, but I got out of there because I just couldn't handle all the pressure on me all the time. I was a wrestler. I did this. It's like I wanted – I need a break. I don't want that. And that just as soon as that pressure starts coming in – if athletes aren't taught how to deal with that, they don't teach high school kids or college kids or even pros. Right. I work with a lot of pros that struggle with this exact same thing. How do you deal with this pressure? Is it you? Is it your identity or is it your role? You know, who are you? Are you the football player or are you this person who plays football? And once they start putting all that together and understanding and taking the pressure off. And it's like, it's your journey, Dave, this is your podcast. This is you. So it's like, if you take that pressure off them, that it's about everybody else and bring an internal control back. It's like, it's about me having some fun. Was there a pivotal point in your life when you recognized the need to focus on the mental side for others or did it just develop slowly? Well, it came, it came when I graduated and I decided, you know what, that really shouldn't have been that difficult. It really shouldn't have been that hard. 
And so I think it, it all kind of came together at the end when I realized I knew nothing about how to control my emotions growing up. And I wasn't good at regulating and asking for help and all those things. And it's like that point when I realized that, you know, everybody, every kid deserves to really enjoy the sport. Every athlete does. And if you're not, then we fix it. There's fixes. It's easy biofeedback, neurofeedback. You do some stuff like that that just helps you to learn to control those anxieties. It's very fixable. It fixes ADHD in a lot of ways. It's like teaching you to focus and slow your mind down and be able to do those things or something that we don't learn here in our society that much. Athletes, look at Phil Jackson, the Zen coach. It's like, it's proven to work. <laughs> yeah. But if you can help athletes do that, then you're doing something. Now, I'm guessing that when you started this, there wasn't a textbook on how do you help people to enjoy the game better to help them achieve. I mean, there wouldn't be room for the title on the cover of the book. Right. How did you develop this? area of expertise what how did that whole thing come about like i said it was it was doc hill thyself and as i was going through the my getting my graduate degree i you know i'll, I'll bear some some soul here david i struggled with an eating disorder in college for a couple of years because of wrestling to maintain my weight and i would do that and so when I graduated, it was tough to stop that. So once again, it was Doc Hill thyself, go into therapy, become a therapist, figure out what you need to do to, to heal this and then help other athletes. Because what I realized as I was writing my thesis was, oh, I'm not the only athlete that struggles with an eating disorder out there. And all of a sudden I started working with gymnasts. That's kind of why they brought me on to the Olympic committee because I wrote that paper. And so it was all um, Doc Heal thyself. You've got these issues. You got an anxiety disorder and you're struggling with an eating disorder. Figure out how to work on those. And if you can, then you're going to help a lot of people. So that's so kind of what it, I did. Is it fair, Jeff, to say that, that you started this to help yourself not even realizing it could be a full-time pursuit? I had no idea that this the position didn't exist. Yeah. You, know, you had your sports psychologist and you had therapists. You didn't have a therapist that was 100% sports focused. So it was like, but I just decided that's what I want to do. And, and I want to work with athletes that struggled the way I did. And it ended up working really well in my favor. It's not really even fair to say the field has changed in the 30 plus years you've been involved because the biggest change is from non-existent to existent. But how has how has the field developed in the in your years in it? I will tell you, David, I'm working on a project called the Freedom Project, which is to bring awareness to mental health issues in sports. So we had Dustin Colquitt and John McGraw and a bunch of athletes to come in and 
basically, I haven't seen anything like this. I've been trying to bring awareness for 30 years, and it's been a battle. I've had to switch my name from what I do, you know, from therapist to performance coach, because nobody would come to a therapist. Yeah. And so I, I had to change that. I had to do all kinds of things because there was such a bad stigma on working on yourself, working on becoming, you know, owning your shit, being honest with yourself, all being real, all those things were not done. And just over the last, since COVID in my mind, it's like people are becoming aware of mental health. It's okay to have a therapist. It's okay to talk to somebody about your issues which has been huge. It's like so incredibly cool to me. I can talk and tell people I'm a therapist and they don't shun me now. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was going to ask you if, if the help that you provide is becoming, I don't want to say mainstream, but becoming more accepted by the general public and maybe by the, the administrations at the universities and the organizations with professional sports. It's now, no longer a stigma. And we've seen the commercials with Ryan Lefevre and we know what he's gone through. Ryan's a real good friend of mine and he's very open about what he battled. Is it, is it now much more accepted if somebody says, Hey, I, I need some help with this. Okay. Well, here's this guy. Right. Uh, it's happening daily to me. It's like people are sending people to me and say, Hey, I know this guy you can talk to. It's, it's just changed COVID, the awareness, the getting rid of the stigma. It's just been a different process because everybody struggled during COVID. It's like not many people were happy that they had to be isolated for that long and positive. And so it's like, it was like, a, hey, world, open your eyes. Mental health is very important. You know, look at what's happened. So many people fell off the wagon and started drinking and all these bad things happening during COVID because it was a tough time. Yeah. Was, um, where is yeah. the need the greatest? Is it at the youth level when you're just starting to maybe come to grips with the fact, hey, you're better than everybody else? Is it at the co college level? Is it at the professional level where the where it's strictly a, a results business or... Right. Is there one where it's the great, the need is greatest or is it all of them? It is all of them, but I, I will tell you that there's different purposes of each one being fulfilled. Like, let's just say that you're lacking at confidence at a young age. So say fourth, fifth grade, and your confidence is really low and you don't do something to change that. You, you don't have a guy, you don't have somebody that's saying, hey, dude, let's look at this. Let's just find the positives. Let's work on these issues. Let's help you to feel more confident. How is that going to affect their life? It's like, you know, school, sports, everything is going to affect their life with more confidence. They're going to approach the world with more confidence. And so that's a game changer for kids. It's like young they can be the star or they could be nobody that doesn't even play. So that could be really huge, huge to get them right before that fun leaves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be different for di different age for different kids, but there it's going to happen to everybody who has aspirations to be a professional athlete. At some point it stops being a game if, and it becomes a, a chore if you don't deal with it. Right. 
And the people that keep can keep it a game and keep it fun and motivating are the ones that are successful in it. Instead of making it that job and I have to do this and it's like, Kobe, I want to do this, man. Give me more time. I will spend it playing basketball. Yeah. And, and that's a different mindset, but that's a, a mindset that we can all embrace. It's like, I love to see him the practices and when he would show up two hours before and everything that he did, it's like the dude just loves the game. Yeah. And not many athletes. Michael did. You can tell Michael loved the game and tiger during his day, all how excited he would get love the game, but it's not easy to love the game. Always is. And maybe this is too general, but it seems to me that the biggest challenge that you have, regardless of where you get somebody, regardless of what level they are in their own progression, seems like one of the biggest challenges you have is to convince them they're not the only one going through this. Is that correct? It's one. It, it all depends on the athlete. But you know what? What I, what I do, David, is I have to help make this personal about them. It's like, if you want to work with me, you're going to have to learn to be selfish. You're going to have to put your needs first. You're going to have to figure out what's important to you. It's not about anybody else. This all comes back to you. And we make them go through a playbook that they develop that is boom, 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 boom. It's all about them. What's your sports identity? What do you want out of this? What's your mission? What's your goals? What are you doing to work on those? So we go through and break it all down, set it up for them so that it's going to be um, – it all turns it back onto them feeling better about themselves. The more you love yourself, the better you're going to do. And I want to get into your new stuff here in a second. Uh, the stuff that we talked about a few days ago with, you know, with the one-on-one -on -one thing, but maybe before that, and, it's, and obviously these things are still going on. Talk about the different things that you and your team do with, with coach D and the, and, right. and the Cura people just talk about all the things that, that performance training does? So what we do is we, how it starts is we do an assessment and somebody is interested, we get a referral, somebody, they take the assessment and then we talk to them and do a free um, consultation just to see if it's a good fit, we're the right people, all that kind of stuff. There's no pressure. And then what we do is if we find it's a good fit, then we meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, either virtually or in person. It depends on where they're at. And, and we have them take some basic assessments. And then they take the assessments. It's mental toughness assessments. It's things like that. Where are they currently? And then we find out when they come in, where do you want to be? And so we figure out, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to be. And so then we kind of work back and create a plan with them and then they have to go through our training that includes biofeedback, neurofeedback. Um, we have a relaxation training that teaches you to lower your heart rate on command. If you can control the physical responses to anxiety and stress, like not turning red or not sweating or those things, that's a pretty powerful tool for athletes. So we can get, I get a lot of my athletes to be able to drop their heart rate by 20 beats in 30 seconds. It's like they practice it enough and they learn the skills. So if you can get the athletes to do these things, I've got virtual reality. I've got all kinds of tools because it really is about getting the athletes to do it. 
if you get them to practice it, if they really engage, if they like to do this biofeedback and they'll do it daily for a while, it's like they're learning the skills to deal with ADHD. They're learning the skills to deal with performance anxiety and focus and getting into the zone when they need to. So all those skills that they're they're learning, what's that going to do for test anxiety? What's that going to do for relationships in the future if you have the ability to relax, focus, get in the zone when you need to? And those kind of skills were never taught before. It's like, God, I wish somebody would have told me this. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting, Jeff. I, I, I watch a lot of sports, obviously. I'm sure you do too. One of the things I'm seeing a lot more as I watch Major League Baseball is the batter will step up to the batter's box, but not step into it, have the bat on his shoulders. He'll look at the bat and he'll go. And it's a relaxation technique. And then they step in the box and they're better prepared. Used to be the old days, you know, I'm up at bat, step in, throw the ball and I'm ready to hit it. And they're going to, you know, they're going to flame out quickly, but they've learned to relax. Why is relaxation so important? Well, that's where it's kind of like being in the zone. It's like most of us have been in the zone at some point or in flow. And it's like, that's the present moment. And that's in that state where you're not panicked. You're not freaking out. You feel confident that you can achieve what you set out to do. So getting to that point is where we need to get you. So we want you not going into the batter's box and figuring this out. We want you to prepare going into the batter's box. We can get your heart rate at 52 beats per minute. And that's where you hit the best. We figured that out. So we have your Apple watch on during practice. We can monitor and get you right there by using relaxation techniques, focus techniques. If you need to pump up a little bit, we have thoughts that get you up. So it's like, we can get you right into the zone right when you start step into the batter's box so that that breathing technique is a part of a routine a a anchor that helps them refocus get centered and be in the zone you know remember jeff hornacek did that yeah before free throws i thought um carl malone yeah carl malone had his little mantra john stockton that is you know it's like those are anchors to be able to get you refocused when you need to. It's like Tiger Woods would always say, yeah, you try staying focused for four hours during a golfing round. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But when you hit and you hit into the woods, you got to be refocused, centered, new, new game to be able to get out of that spot. Yeah. So that was his refocus. You know, he would hand back his club and that was his anchor. And, and that focus point or that that landing point where they need to be is different for each guy. There's some people, and I don't know this for a fact, but it's it, to me it's pretty obvious that Phil Mickelson does better when he's charged up, where Tiger yeah. was better when he was relaxed. A hundred percent. You know, it's called the inverted U, David, and it's like football, bang on your chest, and this is chest, meditate. Where do you fit on this, and how do we get you there? Yeah, because some people do need the bang on the chest. I work with golfers that need the bang on the chest. You know, it's like you got to get pumped. You got to get fired like that. It's like and that's not typical for golfers. Yeah. And let's get in the flow. But if it works for that golfer, then we got to put it in. Does this work for people who don't have aspirations of being great in a sport, but just want to enjoy the sport? You, you know, I'm 62 years old. 
I was never a great athlete, but I would love to be a better golfer. Could you work with me to figure out where my heart rate needs to be to help me hit it farther, to hit it straighter? My golf game may be beyond help, but can you work with people who don't have aspirations of being great? Yes, I do golf workshops. I've done them for a large portion of my life. I know a lot of the basic things, David, I can tell you right now, that I can take four strokes off your handicap the next time you go out. Would you believe me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, 120 down to one. <laughs> so most golfers say, no, there's no way. But just think of it this way. Okay, David, we're going we're gonna to take four strokes off your handicap. Here's how we're going to do it. The night before or the day before, because this is what pros do, I want you to think like you're a professional golfer. So I want you to do all the behaviors that the professionals do. So the day before, we're going to go walk the course. We're going to take notes. We're going to write down the green slopes this way. We're going to figure out a lot of these little notes the day before. And then the, the night before, we're going to have you go to bed and eat healthy, and we're going to have you do all these behaviors, and then we're going to have you get up and stretch and go through all these things. Then we're going to get you a caddy, and then we're going to have you go out, and we're going to talk to you about each shot, where you're going to have to hit it, what club to use, which way the wind's blowing. Do you think that you're going to increase your do better when you're doing all those behaviors? Oh, yeah. And so it's like, people are amazed, like, wow, I never would have thought of it like that. It's like, you too, you don't, you know, most people that go out and want to do better drink while they play. That ain't going to work. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to help you to get better. <laughs> yeah, really. I want to, I want to keep moving along here because there's, there's some stuff that I want to talk about that you're doing new, but going back to, to your whole company, there are other aspects that you guys help with, and I'm thinking particularly what Karen does with helping athletes that want to go on to the next level, whether it's high school kids that want to play collegiately or college athletes that want to get noticed by the pros. She helps them with things like, you know, understanding the impact of your own social media accounts right. and, and, and basically looking at your athletic career as a business and you're trying to improve that business. So just talk real quickly about Team Cura and what they do. Well, they do just what you said, and they are a great resource for me because I, I go into the weeds with the athletes. Like we get into their fears, we get into their deep stuff, and we talk a lot about their social media and what you're putting out there and how it affects you. But in general, nobody talks to us about well, – why would I want to portray myself in a certain way on social media? Well, we guarantee nowadays every single scout, every single college, they're going to look at your profile. Why wouldn't you? You're investing a lot of money yeah. in these athletes. And it's like you they're going to dig. And if there's dirt on you on your social media, they're not going to recruit you. And I've seen it happen a lot. I've had a lot of athletes that are unbelievable athletes, but they found dirt on them. And it's like, that's not a, a good thing to do in our society. If you do want to play professional or college ball, it's like, you gotta walk the walk. Yeah. 
in all aspects of your life. Okay, give, give me your company website and then we're going to move on to some things about the pandemic and what you did to adjust to that. So the website, if somebody's interested in any of the stuff we've talked about so far. Yeah, triumphprogram.com. Triumphprogram.com, okay. Yeah, triumphprogram. Uh, I, I've, I've seen this not, not from a firsthand basis with helping me, but I've gotten to know Jeff and his team and, and have seen great work uh, that they're doing. It's really, really impressive. So if, if you have a, if you're a young athlete, if you know a young athlete, they, trust me, they can use their help. So um, go ahead, you know, check them, check them out. Um, let's talk about the pandemic. You guys have a, a team, you're, you're meeting with people face to face. And yeah. just when athletes needed the most help, maybe dealing with things like, you know, my season got eliminated. Yeah. You couldn't help them. Uh, you could do some stuff virtually because you were set up to do that ahead of time. Right. But talk about the impact that the pandemic had on you. It, in so many ways, David, it was a blessing to in disguise. Really? Because there was so many athletes struggling and, and athletes that I'd worked with, new athletes coming in. But it was just chaos for a lot of kids that were like, wanting to get scholarships and go on and not wanting, now they have to take another year of eligibility, all these different issues coming up. Their world was up in the air and they're really good athletes thinking I'm going to get a scholarship. Whoa, nobody can see me now. Everything's changed. Now everything is different. So I was so blessed to be set up virtually. Like a lot of my sessions are virtual. I see athletes all over the country. I talk to people, but I was so glad to have that ability we still do in session now or in live now like in person but I think the accessibility piece to being able to reach so many athletes and help so many people versus they got to come in mom's got to wait for an hour then they drive home and all that it's like whoa this is easy I didn't realize just how easy it was going to be, especially with younger kids. I was kind of worried about, oh, my God, what am I going to talk about for an hour? It was great. They were showing me their rooms and telling me where they do their exercises and doing all this stuff. And it's like I got to like, whoa, this is pretty valuable stuff that I wasn't even thinking about. You know, they yeah. showed me where and what they do. They would take me out and show me their obstacle course that they built and but one of the coolest things, David, that I found, one thing that I found was the athletes that I was working with, the majority of them were able to see this as an off season and see this as a positive and taking the time. You're going to be so much better if you put in all this work. And, and they were like swimmers and play ice skaters and they couldn't go into their facilities. So they were running and push-ups and it was an amazing opportunity to see some true great mind athletes, young athletes. It's like, I'm not giving up. I am not going to quit. And they took advantage of COVID. I had most of my athletes were are peaking right now more than they've ever peaked because and, took advantage of that struggle in that year. And that's a great business card for your business because they're, you know, the kids that they were competing against and they were like this. Now they're like this. And they say, hey, what did that guy do? You know? Exactly. And so all it was was just talking to them and say, are you a victim or a victor? You know, you can take this and be a victim or you can stand up and say, wait, this is my opportunity to get better. But they need guidance in this. 
Yeah. They need support. They need accountability. They were, most kids were alone and didn't have anybody like me saying, Hey dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get your butt out there, man. It's, it's, there's a lot of things that you can still do. I was talking to a fitness instructor a couple of weeks ago and she said, uh, the heart, the, the most important step in getting physically fit, first of all, is not, not to look at it about getting fit. It's to get more fit than you were. But the most important step is the first one out your front door. And that is so true. Very, very true. And it needs to stay small at first. So you don't overwhelm yourself and think I got to go into this marathon from the very beginning. It's like, no, stick with the, I, a lot of my people that I work with, it's like, you're going to exercise for 10 minutes a day. And that's all you got to stop at 10 minutes because I want you hungry to go the next day. And then I just move it up, move it up, move it up. And they're fine. But if you start out going to the trainer and do this and work out for an hour or two, you go home, you're dead. You never want to go back. Yeah. So it's taking that step. Now, um, one of the biggest areas where you can help, and you've told me this uh, yourself, is dealing dealing with post-career stress helping athletes to adjust to what happens when the cheering stops. Talk about that. Identity versus role. And it's like most athletes, including myself, I was big into that world of this is who I am. This is all I am. And when you lose that, because we're all going to lose it at some point, then it's who am I? And if you don't know who you are, you based your whole life on everybody loving this guy and this guy's the star and this guy is all about football or whatever, that goes away at some point with everybody. So then it becomes a matter of help, helping them to explore, well, who am I and who do I want to be and how do I set my life up? So that I get to focus it on me versus what everybody else sees. This is about me. What do I want? Because most athletes, I mean, the, the average the average adult uh, is going to work, you know, is going to have 40 years or so in the workforce. And then they're going to retire. And there's, we've heard so many stories about people who, after they quit working, pass away quickly because they don't have much to live for. Pro athletes are going to, they're even if they last a long time, are still only halfway through their life. So they've right. got a lot more post-career than they do during their career. Uh, and so you're helping them to recognize playing sports is what I do. It's not who I am. Right. Exactly. And that's not an easy hurdle sometimes. Yeah. A lot of athletes have lived with external gratification. That's where they get their juice and their charges. Other people recognizing and seeing them and cheering for them and and being there for them. And then when that goes, it's like, oh, now what? Yeah. Now you told me recently about, about a professional athlete. It was almost an accidental opportunity to pour into one professional athlete that may not have happened without the pandemic. Talk about that. Well, I went through a situation with this gentleman that fell off the wagon during COVID. And it was um, the middle, right at an important time is 
partner was leaving him. There was all this. And he fell off the wagon, been sober for two and a half years. And so I, we tried to get him into a treatment facility. We tried all the different facilities and there were some that were partial program and most of them weren't running. And so, or you had to wear masks or whatever it was. And it's like, he said, Jeff, if, if you take me up to a cabin somewhere away from alcohol and work with me for a couple of weeks, you know, we can, we can work on, and I'm like, well, you know what? I'm seeing all my clients virtually now and I could probably do this. And I've been working with Warriors Ascent, which is working with PTSD and I've been working. So I've trained my life a lot to do recreational type therapy. So we went out and we spent two weeks and we went through some life-changing things. We went through and created his relapse prevention plan, individualized for him. Where is he most tempted? What does he do in those situations? How does he handle those? And then we put a aftercare plan. You're going to go to this. You're going to meet with these people. This is going to be happening. And to keep him, you know, you can't just send these professionals to AA or, or different right. places because the media finds out and all that kind of stuff. So coming up with an individualized aftercare plan and then also it was like every day we worked on what are the areas of your life? And so we created a plan. You get up at nine o'clock or, or six o'clock in the morning and you do yoga and then you do this and then you do this and then you do and you create these routines and patterns that they can do that keep them from thinking about escaping with alcohol because this is just relapsed two weeks ago. It's like, we got to come up with something that's going to work. Yeah. So we put in all these different techniques. We go hiking, we go golfing, we, and we work on his ability to control his anger. We work on trauma. So usually when you go to a treatment facility, you get an hour a week with a therapist. And with this, it's, you get 24 seven with your own therapist. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's such a different experience. I can't even explain it, David, how life-changing it was for me to watch him go through this. And at the end of the two weeks, have a plan and be confident and knowing what's coming. And so it's like, he's had his struggles, but he's gotten back. He's, he's doing well. And it's like, so I've done a couple of these and I'm loving them. It's like, I think treatment, there's usually like a 95% failure rate at most treatment facilities. We're doing something wrong. We're trying to put them into a cookie cutter approach. We give them groups that are beneficial. I'm not going to critique groups, but it's like, it's not set up for the individual to succeed. It's like, let's deal with this mass group of people that struggle with this issue and hope that we hit some. But we, I take it. We, well, Jeff, we talked about the fact of one one important factor is letting them recognize they're not alone. But the the flip side of that is they are unique. They're not alone. They're not the only one going through this. But how they deal with it has to be tailored to that person. Exactly. It can't be one size fits all. It just doesn't work. You know, we got athletes that are going back to their team that drinks and has parties and does these things and. They're all their friends are users of some sort, not always, but I mean, it's just like 
going back to that world without having a plan, something in place and people that are supporting you on it. We want, bring on your wife, bring on anybody else because this is a journey as a, with support. It can't be done alone. It's interesting, Jeff, because you talked about life-changing and I expected you to say it's, it was life-changing for him. He's doing really well. You said it's life-changing for you. How, how, does, how has it changed your life? Dude, I will tell you, <laughs> in more ways than you can imagine. I've, you know, it's kind of like we feel like a fraud sometimes. I'm telling all these people, you need to create your routine, get up in the morning, journal, do these things. I have all these athletes, all these people doing that. Well, guess who wasn't doing it? <laughs> so when I went on this two weeks, it's like, oh, I'm, he's there watching, man. I got a journal. I got to cook right, eat healthy, get into yoga, do all these things. And it's like, oh, I need to walk my walk. So it's like, since that first time, I've been doing the behaviors that I learned on that excursion and it's changed my life. It's like, wow, Jeff, you need to walk your walk. <laughs> Once again, physician, heal yourself. Right, um, that's my life. <laughs> yeah, um, and you've been able to do this with a couple of other athletes. What are your long-term goals with this? I want to do this with people on a mission, people that have, have probably failed at other treatment that really this is an important thing for them to change. And I want to do several of these a year and I want to train other coaches to do these because I think I have never seen anything that works like it. It's like I've worked with a lot of people that have went through treatment facilities and come out and, and it's like they just weren't ready for what comes next. It's like, OK, right when you get out, you've got to do all these things. Yeah. And so I'm willing to go into their home for a while to make sure that the transition works. I, I've got the attitude right now. It's no excuses, only results. So it's like. If they go home and they have to stay by themselves for a while and they relapse, that's not a bad thing necessarily. It tells us we need more infrastructure. We need something else to do mm -hmm. to take care of that. And we learn the lessons as we go with that. So when I take somebody on in this regard, it's like, I'm giving you my full Monty. I'm giving you everything I got, dude. And if, if it doesn't work, you know what? That's, not on me. <laughs> and I think it's cool that you're willing to train other people because it would be easy to say, I'm the one who did this. I'm the one who created this. I'm the only one who can do it for you. That doesn't, you're not interested in that. You're interested in helping people. Yes. You can only, I mean, even Moses got some people who would help him settle the small cases. You know, you're yes. not into it for the, the ego stroke. You're into it to help people. It's, it's what I want to do. It's like after the first one and when I was done, I'm like, if this helped me this much and I see where he's at, it's like, why wouldn't we be doing these? It just made sense to me. It's like, I get to see people an hour a week, David, and they change over a year. This was like 24-7. Let's do EMDR therapy. Let's get you on this biofeedback machine. Let's get you doing this. Let's get you. And it's like, two weeks solid of doing that stuff. And I think they've had fun doing it because we do yeah. fun stuff, but it's not easy. We're doing a lot of mind training and digging in and 
creating your plan of your life that, you know, it's like we go through each area, the relationships, the finances, the spiritual, the every area. And we include what are you doing in that area and what needs to be changed? That's really, that's really cool. I know you've got a podcast. So talk about how the podcast fits into all this. I started a podcast because I love to work with, I like to work with anybody on a mission to be quite honest, David, but I like to work with goats. I like to work with the greatest of all time, whether they're really the greatest of all time. That's all debatable. I work with high school goats, kids around here that are exceptionally good. They just stand out about above everybody else. And I, I like to work with goats in business. I like to work with goat alcoholics, people that I'm serious, Jeff, I'm all in, man, I'm going to beat this. You know, I've had several athletes that I've worked with and some of those challenges like professional athletes that stop drinking after they've been out of the league for so long and they are able to overcome an addiction or something like that. It's like, which was harder, you know, playing professional football where everybody loved you and you, or overcoming this addiction that you're embarrassed of and you're hiding and you're feeling like you let everybody down and you're a disappointment. Which one was harder? And I'll bet most of the time it's the latter. Yeah, almost every time. So when it comes to goats, I like people that are kind of their own goats, that it's like, I want to be the greatest I can be. And if I'm an alcoholic, I want to stop. If I'm a drug addict, I'm addicted to opiates, I need to stop. If I want to be a professional football player, I need to do the behaviors of the professional. That's the kind of mindset that's really fun for me to work with because they're achievers. You know, it's like whatever it is we put out in front of them, whether it be addiction or whatever, it's like, I want to achieve that. But sometimes it takes a lot of digging for people to really know that's that important for them. So where do people find your podcast? Uh, you can go to my Facebook page, um, Triumph Program, KC, or Triumph Performance Institute, I believe it is. Or you can go to our YouTube channel, same name, or you can see it on LinkedIn. And it's live on Facebook. It's going to be on Thursdays. Five o'clock on Thursdays on Facebook. Yeah. Look for Triumph Performance Institute on Facebook yeah. and, you, and you'd see that. Okay. I always wrap up my podcast with opportunity for two things. First of all, talk about your family. I'm in love. I got a 16-year-old daughter that I'm so in love with and she's wonderful. She rocks my world and she's the neatest individual I've ever met in my life. And she's 16 and she's still okay with me. So I don't know what's going on. <laughs> You've done something right. <laughs> I've got at least 16. We'll see if it stretches, but I'm feeling really good about it. And my family's doing really good. I can't complain one little bit. Do, do you find yourself coaching your daughter, coaching your family? 100% the opposite, Dave. They don't allow it. They don't allow me to go anywhere that sounds like therapy. <laughs> if I say, wow, that sounded really hard, she goes, quit doing therapy with me, Dad. I'm like, really? I'm just trying to be your dad. <laughs> and yet, and I'll, and I'll argue this point, is 
just like the, uh, the athlete, that's what they do. That's not the, who they are. Who you are is someone who helps people. So you may not be able to do therapy with your daughter, but right. being who you are is therapeutic to her and is helping her to be the strong woman that she's becoming. Right. And, and she is a very strong woman and she gets, she's 16 and she's the president of the um, theater program. And she's just a go getter, make things happen. And that's me. I like to make things happen. I like to watch people make things happen, encourage people to make things happen. It's just fun for me. So she's meeting that criteria, even though she's not a big athlete, which is good probably because I would probably freak her out. <laughs> and you'd probably be the dad in the stands coaching the coach and, and yelling at the officials and, and things like that. <laughs> I hope I wouldn't be that dad. <laughs> well, no, but I'm guessing that the, there's a little bit of that in you still. And it might, it might be a little difficult to control. All right. Last question. Last question. And I've, I've interviewed, I, I interviewed, a, well, a, a professional soccer player who's 19. So this question seemed strange to him. And I said, okay, answer it with what you hope is the case. And I've interviewed an 80 year old former football player who gave me the best answer yet. He said, I want to live my life. So the preacher don't have to lie at my funeral. Uh, here's, here's my question. What is your legacy? Oh yeah. You know, what I would really like, David, if, if I could pick what I would like my legacy to be, it was like, wow, he really got me because I want people to feel like I understand them. I really value listening and getting into their story. And they don't remember things that I say, but usually when they leave my office, they like, they feel like, wow, he really gets me. And so I want that to be my legacy is, wow, that dude, that crazy old dude really understood where I was coming from as an athlete. I think that would rock my world if that was my legacy. That's pretty cool. And, and most people don't think they're old enough to have one. And, and so I say, well, then answer it how you want it to be. So this was really kind of a halfway in between there. So Jeff, it's always good to catch up with you, my friend. And I appreciate your time very much. Thank you, David. I truly enjoy it. And I truly enjoy you and everything you're doing. And I, we get a, some opportunities to work with some common people once in a while. And I'm really excited about that. So thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.